everybody, this is Chuck Marone. This is it. This is launch week. This is the week that the second book in the Strong Town series comes out. This one, Confessions of a Recovering Engineer, Transportation for a Strong Town. I'm super psyched about. The pre-sale numbers have been great. Thank you to everybody who's gone out and been part of that. Uh, we're excited to launch this this week and see where it goes. I'm out on book tour already, so if I've run into you, awesome. If I haven't, I'll be coming near you soon. Today for the podcast, I am actually going to read an excerpt from chapter one of the book. So enjoy. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Chapter 1, Embedded Values Sagrario Gonzalez was at the Central Library on State Street in Springfield, Massachusetts, near closing time on December 3, 2014. As many loving adults are prone to do, she brought her niece and daughter to enjoy the library's children's section. Springfield was the home of Theodore Geisel, better known as Dr. Seuss, it has a great children's section. It was lightly raining when they left the library, the December kind of rain that stings when the wind whips it against your neck. Their vehicle was in the library's parking lot, directly across the street from the front door. As Gonzalez walked down the front steps, two small children in tow, she made a fateful decision. At the bottom of the library steps was a sidewalk. To get to her vehicle, Gonzalez could walk the 275 feet south to the traffic signal, push the button, and wait for the light to turn in her favor, cross the four lanes of State Street, and then proceed back up the street another 275 feet to the parking lot. She could do that, or she could do what most people seem to do when they leave the library. She could follow a well-worn path through the grass, step over a small decorative fence, erected along the side of the street, wait for a gap in the traffic, and then quickly walk, maybe run, across State Street to the parking lot. The quickest path between two points is a straight line. With the rain coming down, darkness well established, and the bedtime hour fast approaching on a school night, Gonzalez chose the quicker route. It was the wrong decision. The group was struck by a vehicle while crossing State Street. Sagrario Gonzalez's daughter and niece were taken to the hospital with serious injuries. Gonzalez survived, as did her niece. Tragically, Destiny Gonzalez, the seven-year-old daughter of Sagrario and her husband Luis, was killed. I will never forget that night. I was in Springfield, having just given a public lecture on behalf of the nonprofit Strong Towns. I missed my family especially my two daughters, who were roughly the same ages as the pair of young girls who had been struck. It was 10 days before Christmas. My heart ached, and it still does, for that poor woman. It was not her fault. The Crossing What happened that night on State Street seems obvious. In a karmic world, where we all, to one degree or another, must live with the consequences of our decisions, 
it's easy to see how Gonzalez made a series of bad choices. She could have walked to the traffic signal, but she didn't. Traveling four feet per second with two kids in tow, it would have taken her roughly one minute and 10 seconds to get there. Depending on her luck, she might not have had to wait at all to cross if the light happened to be green in her direction. If it was red, she might have been there another minute, perhaps longer. It would have taken an additional minute and 10 seconds to walk back along the opposite sidewalk. To walk to the signal instead of crossing directly meant it would take an additional two to four minutes to get to her car. Two to four minutes. That is what was saved by crossing directly in the middle of the block instead of walking to the signal. One dead, one seriously injured, and lives forever damaged. It seems like an extraordinarily high price to pay for what could casually be described as impatience. That's not to suggest that crossing the street mid-block was effortless. To cross in front of the library, Gonzalez had to walk around a row of shrubs. To reach the street, she also needed to step over a small fence, nothing more than a couple of decorative chains hanging between posts. These obstacles were put there to discourage people from crossing in this location, a fact that is self-evident to anyone who chooses that route. We can think of these obstacles as a warning. Do not cross here. Gonzalez did not heed this clear warning. From curb to curb, State Street is 40 feet wide in this location. At a normal walking speed, the three of them would be exposed to traffic for at least 12 seconds, assuming they could proceed in one smooth crossing. That is 12 seconds in an area where Gonzalez knew that a traffic signal would not be stopping oncoming traffic. She also had to have known that at least some of these drivers might not anticipate people crossing mid-block, especially at that hour. Those drivers would not be alert for the possibility that she and the girls would be there. Of the four lanes on State Street, two convey traffic to the north and two to the south. Crossing safely here requires one to time a gap between the multi-directional traffic flow, a task made more difficult at night. What often happens in these situations is that the person crossing can anticipate the gap only in the nearest two lanes. They venture out and often find themselves trapped in a traffic lane, fully exposed, waiting for the furthest two lanes to provide the gap that they need to finish the crossing. Sagrario Gonzalez had done this crossing many times. She knew all of this. Everyone in Springfield knows this, and most of us, if we visited the site and looked at it, would intuitively understand it as well. What Gonzalez did was very dangerous. She did it despite the clear warnings. She did it to save a couple minutes of time. She did it despite having two small children in her care young people who would face the risk with her and pay a heavy price. This was Gonzalez's choice. It is easy to say this was Gonzalez's fault. Too easy. It wasn't her fault. Hidden Values That night, Sagrario Gonzalez was making fateful decisions about how to navigate an environment where her existence was, at best, an afterthought, and at worst, a nuisance. 
The options she had available to her were the result of the underlying values applied to the design of State Street, values reflected in similar environments across North America and wherever around the world American design practices are being emulated. The professionals who design streets follow a practice codified in the decades since the Great Depression. Engineers who do this work learn it as a practice, as a body of technical knowledge that has been amassed over generations. While one book or another of the engineering standards is often referred to as, quote, the Bible by those who use them, that reference is due more to their centrality to the practice of engineering than to the type of wisdom imparted. While the religious debate passages of the Bible, contrasting different teachings in a search for deeper truth, the codes of an engineering manual are more like a cookbook. If you wish to make a certain type of chocolate cookie, a cookbook will provide the common ingredients found in cookies and the specific way to arrange them for a particular recipe. Likewise, if you wish to build a certain type of street, an engineering manual will explain the way to assemble all of the components so that you get the desired outcome. What is expected in a religious text, but not in a cookbook, is deeper meaning. Few people question the underlying values contained in a fruit salad recipe. Fewer search for hidden truth in the list of ingredients for a souffle. The recipes in a cookbook generally do not have an underlying ideology or belief system attached to them. A cookbook is viewed as value-free. It is merely instructions for assembling ingredients into finished foods. Transportation professionals consider their texts, and by extension their entire profession, as being similarly value-free. This is wrong. At the foundation of traffic engineering is a collection of deeply infused values. These values are so deep and so core to the profession that practitioners do not consider them values. They bristle at the suggestion. For practitioners, these values are merely self-evident truths. Something like gravity that is not necessarily to believe in because it just is. These values are expressed in the range of options that engineers consider, the way they discuss different approaches, and the transportation systems that they build. This would not be a problem, and we could allow this entire profession to retain their sacred texts and practices unchallenged by heretical viewpoints if they could find a way to address the damage traffic engineering is doing to our communities. They cannot do this for a simple reason. The damage being done is the culmination of those values. The injuries and deaths, the destruction of wealth and stagnating of neighborhoods, the unfathomable backlog of maintenance costs with which most American cities struggle are all a byproduct of the values at the heart of traffic engineering. Addressing the damage requires addressing the values, but you cannot address something that you deny even exists. The underlying values of the transportation system are not the American public's values. They are not even human values. They are values unique to a profession that has been empowered with reshaping an entire continent around a new experimental idea of how to build human habitat. 
Let us identify those values. The design process. When an engineer sits down to design a street, they begin the process with the design speed. I have been in countless meetings where engineers presented technical design sheets and even in-depth studies for a street project. Never, and I mean never, was any elected official or any member of the public asked to weigh in on the design speed. Never once did I hear one of my fellow professional engineers say, so what are you trying to accomplish with this street in terms of the speed? No, the design speed is solely the purview of the engineering professional with a preference for accommodating higher speeds over lower. Why? Choosing a design speed is by its nature an application of core values. When we pick a speed, we are selecting among different competing priorities. Is it more important that peak traffic move quickly? Or is it more important to maximize the development potential of the street? Do we compromise the safety of people crossing on foot in order to obtain a higher automobile speed? Or do we reduce automobile speed in order to improve safety for people outside of a vehicle? These are policy decisions. And like all policy decisions, they should be decided by some duly elected or appointed collection of public officials. In a democratic system of representative government, representatives of the people should be provided the full range of options and be allowed to weigh them against each other. That rarely happens. And I have never heard of an instance where it has happened for a local street. Many of my engineering colleagues will reply that they do not control the speed at which people drive, that travel speed is ultimately an enforcement issue. Such an assertion should be professional malpractice. It selectively denies both what engineers know and how they act on that knowledge. For example, professional engineers understand how to design for high speeds. When building a high-speed roadway, the engineer will design wider lanes, more sweeping curves, wider recovery areas, and broader clear zones than they will on lower-speed roadways. There is a clear design objective, high speed, and a professional understanding of how to achieve it safely. There is rarely any acknowledgement of the opposite capability, that slow traffic speeds can be obtained by narrowing lanes, creating tighter curves, or reducing or eliminating clear zones. High speeds are a design issue, but low speeds are an enforcement issue. That is incoherent, but it is consistent with an underlying set of values that prefer higher speeds. Once the engineer has chosen a design speed, they then determine the volume of traffic that they will accommodate. How many motor vehicles will this street be designed to handle? This is the second step of the design process and the second instance where the design professional independently makes a decision that is, at its heart, a value decision. Standard practice is to design the street to handle all of the traffic that routinely uses it at present, plus any increase in traffic that is anticipated in the future. There is no consideration given as to whether that is too much traffic for the street 
And rarely is there a conversation of whether other alternatives should be considered. If traffic is present, it is the traffic engineer's calling to accommodate it. No non-professional is given an opportunity to suggest otherwise. Now that they have identified the design speed and traffic volume, the traffic engineer consults one of the books of standards to determine how to assemble a safe street. Given a certain speed and volume, how does the design cookbook indicate the street's ingredients be assembled? Within the design process, the answer to that question is, by definition, safe. Any other design would generally be considered a compromise of safety. The final step of the design process, then, is to take the safe design and determine how much it will cost. This dollar amount is the price for a responsible street design. Any questioning of this minimum effort would be considered a reckless endangerment of human life. Now we have the traffic engineering profession's values as expressed in the design process. In order of importance, those values are traffic speed, traffic volume, safety, and cost. I have presented the profession's values in this way to dozens of audiences compromising thousands of people across North America. I then asked them to identify their values. These are mixed audiences of professionals and non-professionals, people involved in local government decisions and those who are not. There is always a broad consensus. I asked them to think about a street where they live or one where they shop or like to go out to eat. I asked them to shout out in unison which values they consider most important as applied to that street. The answer, overwhelmingly, is safety. And of course it is. Most humans, including most traffic engineers, when they stop to consider what is being asked, would sacrifice much of the street's performance in terms of speed or volume in order to make it safer. Safety is the top value nearly all people apply to street design. As we continue, I ask them to shout out their second most important value. Again, there is no real ambiguity. Nearly everyone chooses cost. Again, most Americans today would sacrifice the ability of someone to drive at speed and the capacity of a street to accommodate a specific volume of traffic to have a more cost-effective design. I acknowledge that this collective response may differ from the preferences of the individual driving the street, but there are always competing interests between an individual and society. In public policy, we routinely ponder such trade-offs. While safety and cost are the top values for nearly everyone, the third value expressed by the groups, which I have interacted with, is perhaps the most telling. I ask, in a trade-off between speed and volume, which would you prefer? A design that moves fewer vehicles at a higher speed, or one that moves more vehicles but at a reduced speed? Would you emphasize speed or volume? The answer, overwhelmingly, is volume. And that makes sense. To the extent that the street is used to convey traffic, sacrificing the number of cars that can pass through in any given time frame, just so those drivers can go faster, 
is counterproductive by any meaningful measure. If we can slow down traffic speeds, and it means that more vehicles can pass through, and more people arrive at their destinations sooner, why would we not do that? Most people would. The values of the design process, the values applied to street design, are not the values that most people would identify with. I would assert that this includes most traffic engineers, which suggests that design professionals are not morally deficient people, but simply that they have accepted these underlying values without debate, internal or otherwise. State Street was designed using a process that values speed and volume above safety. Sagrario Gonzalez was expected to overcome this design. A different set of values, a more human set of values, would not have put that burden on her. Thank you, everybody, for letting me read that small excerpt from chapter one. I'm super excited for you to get this book, Confessions of a Recovering Engineer, Transportation for a Strong Town. Uh, go get your copy today. And everybody, keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Take care. Taking risk is a necessity for becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, the city! The window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through. I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.